BFG people, hello and welcome to Blockchain Insider. I'm Mauricio Magaldi, Global Strategy Director for Crypto at 11FS, and this is episode 194. I'm joined as always by my amazing co-host Kai Sheffield, head of Crypto Visa. Welcome to the show, Kai. How are you doing today? I am fantastic. It's good timing for this topic. We got a, a lot to discuss. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be amazing. So today's show, we're going to discuss some more AI developments. But this time, we're taking a look at the direction of Web3 and Web2 social media. We want to see the impact AI software and AI-generated content has on the world of social media. With the influx of developments in this sector, it would have been naive to think that it wouldn't start slowly taking over our feeds and timelines. However... What happens when most of our feeds and timelines are AI-generated? Can audiences tell, and if not, should they be able to? What risks does this pose, and what does this mean for authenticity? This is a very exciting conversation that I can't wait to get into, and we have amazing guests to talk to us about that. So welcome, Zachary Edwards, Content Lead and Community Manager at Subsocial. Welcome to the show, Zach. Great to have you with us. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and Subsocial, please? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I'm the content lead at Subsocial. Uh, we're still a small team, so I also do business development, community, and a couple other things. Um, Subsocial is basically, we're building social tools um, so we can provide sort of social features to other applications. I um, mean, you know, if we look at Web2, pretty much Every application we use has social features added um, to the point where we don't really even realize it anymore. But like, for example, I have a fasting application on my phone, which is basically just a glorified stopwatch. And it has social features. You know, you can compete with your friends, that sort of thing. Uh, but if we look at Web3, most applications don't have any social features yet. Um, and there's some studies that show you know, social features can increase engagement by up to three and a half times. Um, so we're sort of working on that where... If you have a Web3 application and you want to add social features, you can do it with you know three lines of code, really simple like that, um, to increase user engagement and get your community more on-chain. Nice, nice. Welcome. And joining us as well is a return guest, Naveen Jain, co-founder of Tari Labs. Thanks for coming back to the show, Naveen. Uh, what can you tell us a little bit more about what you're up to in Tari Labs? Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. Really honored to be here. Um, yeah, so at Atari Labs, we're starting the development of a new layer one protocol that's default private. As that relates to social media, we think privacy is not only a basic human right, but we think it's a cornerstone for any social media oriented products. If you think about how most protocols work today, um, they are what we would say default surveillance. This idea that you have someone's wallet address, you can see all of their transaction history from the beginning of time. That's not a natural state of affairs for people. You know, this idea that all of your transaction history is available for anyone to uh, dig into. And I think it's a challenge when human beings are essentially reduced to being entries in a database and people can make up stories about you. And that also has a direct connection to the topic for today's show, which is related to artificial intelligence. So, um, so yeah, Tari is currently in Testnet. Uh, we started our audit for our L1, which is going really well. And we're really excited to um, emerge from uh, sort of an alpha state, a testnet state in the in the near future. Cool. Okay, so before we dive in, just as a reminder to our listeners, the views or opinions of our panel are their own and don't necessarily reflect those of the companies that they are representing. And as always, nothing we say should be taken as tax, financial, or legal advice. So do your own research. So let's get started. To kick this thing off, we want to start to zoom all the way out. 
and start covering what this is, what is the size of the problem or the size of this uh, space. So uh, I'm going to start with you, Naveen. So how do you feel that this integration of AI in, in Web3 and in social media platforms is influencing uh, the user experience, the type of interactions, especially in the crypto community? We saw an influx of crypto tokens, obviously, which is kind of weird to think about, but do you think that this translates well to the general population and does this have any bearing on public opinion about AI and crypto in general? Yeah, so I think that the real question is what is real human activity and what is not real human activity? So in Web3 right now, we have a real challenge, which is a lot of proof-of-stake protocols that are doing airdrops of tokens uh, get civil attacked. Um, in other words, people spin up bots, you know, fake wallets, you know, whatever, however they want to do that. And with the idea that they farm the airdrop, they try to get, you know, the free money that is coming their way. And they aren't real people. There's no proof of personhood, you know, happening, which, because that's very difficult to do. It's very, very difficult to understand whether someone is a real person or not. So you already see you know, sort of the outcome that I think uh, a lot of, uh, you know, people believe may happen in the world of social media with AI happening in crypto with civil attacks uh, on proof of stake protocols. So I think when you pair artificial intelligence with that, and now people are able to very quickly and easily spin up fake social profiles, um, as they are already doing on every major social platform, uh, they're able to spin up, you know, fake backstories, fake narratives, you know, tied to these like wallets that are, you know, essentially just, you know, bots effectively, then you, you run into a real challenge of, well, how many real users are really there? Um, and right now, I would argue that the number of real users that exist, exist in the crypto space that are actually active in the crypto space is very small. And it is much smaller than the number of unique wallet addresses uh, that are participating in these and networks may indicate. So I think there's a very real challenge here that we need to kind of work together to solve because otherwise we we may end up having ghost towns that appear to be filled with real people uh, but are actually filled with bots. And uh, we're already kind of there in a lot of cases in crypto. Is this something that, and, and I'm going to turn to you, Zach, in this, but is this something that is at some point translatable to non-crypto people do, do do you do you feel that is this relatable in any other industry because it seems so i mean Naveen, to your point this feels very specific no other industry does airdrops uh, in in any capacity so there's no actual farming but there is a lot of misinformation and misdirection and obviously we're all familiar with fake news so this this seems that if if faking personhood in airdrops is a problem in crypto. The, the derivations of this in the real world with fake news and deep fakes, and it, it's bound to get out of hand. W what is your take on this, Zach? Is this, is this a, like a threatening problem for society? I mean, I think we're already experiencing some of it. Um, you know, Naveen was mentioning using AI to create sort of fake profiles, um, but it's basically, our, people already do that. It just takes more work. Um, so I think the negative effects of that will increase as it becomes easier to do it. Um, but the actual, you know, that thing, it already happens. Uh, and I did want to ask you, like, when you're saying AI, what what exactly do you mean by that? Because, like, 
if I spin up a bot to farm an airdrop, does that count as AI? Or do you just mean like using ChatGPT and MidJourney to create a fake profile and do stuff like that? Yeah, I think I think we we're when we talk about AI, at least in the show, it's been the new capabilities brought in by the large language models such as uh, OpenAI's ChatGPT and and others. Uh, and obviously that has accelerated a lot of text-based interactions, which means that even code, which is predominantly text, has been accelerated in, in multiple directions. And, and yes, you can have bots that are powered by these types of uh, new um, AI technologies. Yeah, so I think in this case, you kind of need to split into short-term and, and um, long-term. Long-term, we may end up where there's just neural nets that aren't being controlled by anyone and they're just spitting out content. Um, but in the short term, you know, there's still someone inputting the prompt. So in terms of, you know, authenticity and like, is this actually real? Kind of. Uh, but it's like, if I use Microsoft Word to type something, is that AI? Because it saved me time versus writing it with a pencil. The first thing that, that comes to mind for me when I just think about, you know, intersection of AI and social media is it seems like objectively there's no question there's going to be a significantly greater volume of content. And whether that is, you know, these people creating AI bots that are going off and like creating their own content, whether it's just AI assisted tools that make it easier for people to create content. And so if you even put crypto aside, what do existing social media platforms look like in a world where there's a hundred to a thousand times the content that exists today? And it feels like there's just this greater problem of of filtering, you know, our attention span and the amount of time that we have is is fixed. But now the amount of content that's going into any one of these platforms is now increasing exponentially. And so crypto or not, I think there's this question around how do you manage, you know, both technically and psychologically and socially, like how do you manage just exponentially greater increases in the volume of content that's put out. And that's kind of the starting point challenge. And so Naveen, I know you you think a lot about like attention and the value of attention. And so curious how you start to, to think about what, what we need as a society when you have that much more content that's created. So I think um, the content point you're making is an important point. I think there is a additional point, which is equally important, which is fake engagement. So uh, if someone spins up uh, a bunch of fake profiles on a given social network, uh, which is now increasingly easy to do uh, and will become even easier as these tools continue to evolve. Uh, now you end up in a situation where, uh, wow, you know, this person that I'm following has a million followers. Well, a million followers, what does that mean? You know, are these a million real humans? Are these a million uh, AI generated profiles that are now following each other? And how do you, as human beings, how do we know who to trust? And how do we know whose stories are real and whose stories are artificial? And uh, there's a real risk of effectively being hoodwinked on a highly repeated basis. So it's not only about the volume of content, it's about the volume of engagement that is now effectively becoming where it used to be more real. Now it is largely fake. And so uh, it, it's like what we used to do or what people used to do on Twitter. I've, I've never done this to be very clear, but you know, people would go on Twitter and literally 
pay for follows. Like you can literally pay a bot farm to follow. And so now your account went from zero followers on Twitter to having 50,000 followers on Twitter. Well, now you have 50,000 followers on Twitter. Do people start to trust you more because you, they go, oh, well, gosh, you know, what, what he is saying must be important because he's got 50,000 followers. It, it, it crosses a trust and validation paradigm for most people at this moment in time. I think that trust and validation paradigm is about to end uh, for people where now all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, well, everyone has a million followers or five, you know, 500,000 followers or 2 million followers because, you know, it's so easy for anyone to spin up a bunch of artificial accounts. So not only is it about the volume of content and whether that content is high quality, poor quality, engaging, you know, uh, does it really match kind of the moment from an attention economy standpoint? You know, all of that is, is, is certainly like a, a great conversation to have. Um, I think the engagement, the fake engagement problem is going to increase on an exponential scale. And therefore, it will be very hard for people to know who to trust, who is real, whose stories are authentic. And, and then that leads to a major problem, both in Web 2 and in Web 3. It's, it's certainly more dynamic what bots can do now compared to just having static followers. You have actually bots interacting with everything someone posts. I know it's one data point from one person, but from two weeks ago to now, the amount of tags on airdrops has increased dramatically, but more importantly, the interactions on those tags also. So there's contextual interaction between a probably fake post with a very likely fake list of people interacting with that one post where you're tagged. So it's drawing at least my attention because I have to go and block all of these <laughs> these bots. Very annoying because it floods the, the the timeline, it floods the notification, and it creates an like for a human, it's probably impossible to keep up with. Which which kind of gets me to another space in this discussion, which is could we have also AI curation? to kind of offset that on the user side of things. How do you guys see that kind of using AI to fight AI, fight fire with fire style of things? Is this something that, and how, how, does, how do we reach that point where people are actually using these tools in, in their benefit instead of just being played by them? Yeah, I mean, that was the, the next point I was going to bring up is it's definitely a, a two-sided thing. A big thing that I'm looking forward to with what do social networks is due to them being open, I hope we'll see a, sort of an emergence of like an algorithm marketplace. Um, so users will be able to choose which algorithm they want to use, um, which will basically lead to competitive development of different algorithms. Um, so we, ideally we can see, you know, which one is best at blocking out all this AI flood. Um, but then also the side thing of users can sort of see what, choose what content they want to see um, instead of, you know, you're scrolling and you randomly get something to pop up and, um, ruins your day because you saw that. What do you think that looks like? Is that like branded algorithms that there'll be companies that, you know, say we're the best algorithm at filtering out AI and we're the best at doing something else? Like curious how you, how you, you know, picture that from just the, the consumer experience. I mean, first you would need whatever user application you're using, either mobile app or website. Um, they would have to be open to that idea. You know, for example, Twitter has their one algorithm and that's if you want to make another one too bad. Um, so the user interface would need to accept that. Um, as far as from the development side, I'm not a developer, so I have no idea if it's feasible for you know one dude in his bedroom to make an, an algorithm like that or if it would be 
you know, a big team and you have multiple competing companies, almost um, whole marketing campaigns for their algorithms and everything like that. I, 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 dis- I disagree. I don't, I don't think there will be a marketplace for algorithms because I don't think that consumers are going to be able to know what is a better algorithm or what is not a better algorithm. I don't think most consumers that use social media platforms care. I think that what they care about is whether or not they're getting a dopamine hit in the moment. And I think the social media platforms are very, very good at that. And whether it's a AI generated piece of content that is creating the dopamine hit or whether it is a authentic uh, piece of content that's creating the dopamine hit at the end of the day, the goal of the social media platform is to capture your attention and to retain your attention over the long haul because that's ultimately what they're monetizing. Uh, I think that the other major problem that will ha- that I think will occur with regards to social media platforms um, and real users engaging is I think there will soon be a disincentive for real people to invest the time to create content when LLM-oriented tools become increasingly good at knowing how to push humans' buttons. Uh, so if you have a uh, AI agent that knows exactly how to, based on uh, a user's historical data set of what kinds of content they've engaged with, oh, well, it turns out that there's a person out there who likes to look at pictures of pretty girls and they prefer blondes with green eyes. Okay, we'll just give them more of that. You know, like, and now all of a sudden you're you're flooded with content that is like, finely tuned, better than even what TikTok does today. TikTok is actually very, very good at this, uh, arguably best in the world at this today. Um, but that that tuning becomes inc- increasingly fine-tuned, leveraging LLM models behind the scenes. Honestly, the social networks themselves may end up spinning up and creating boatloads of artificial content uh, because it, it serves their best interest in terms of driving engagement. So I don't believe that consumers ultimately will have a choice of algorithm. I think that's like not true. It's a it's a harder proposition because we spent the last 20 years volunteering our data to get free service. And, and that's a behavior that's very hard to change because it comes down to one point uh, you mentioned, uh, Naveen, which is uh, incentives. So I guess that for the vision that, that Zach uh, kind of uh, painted, we will need to have an, an incentive architecture that would have to be enough of a competitive threat to platforms so we can actually go and deliver against you know, that proposition. But how do we fight back the, um, the sheer amount of data we've volunteered about ourselves over the last 20 years that has shaped those algorithms that have been infinitely refined in front of us as we reinforce uh, those behaviors using those platforms is probably the biggest challenge because we can create an incentive architecture that kind of puts us in a position to, okay, okay, now we have an offering that's compelling enough for people to actually embrace. But then all of the data that we volunteer is now ring-fenced. We don't own that, but the platforms do. So we might need to rethink on the outside of those platforms, what are other dopamine enablers as, as just to kind of reutilize that, that, that term. So that those become more interesting and maybe, and that's going to be a very, very sad prospect. We will have to find a space between generations to reshape that 
behavior because we're now have conditioned 20 years of consumers that are simply just how it is. I mean, we don't, most of us don't second guess or question, uh, you know, the habits we, we baked in and using uh, those platforms. And because we don't question, uh, we end up self-reinforcing that behavior on the platform and in, in ourselves. So I, I, I don't want to be grim about this, uh, but I, I, don't, I don't think that playing within the ring fence space is going to get us anywhere better than we are. I do feel that we need to kind of create that parallel world where we get the same stimuli on people, but in a more ethical self-controlled, self-owned, as we we're talking about Web3 uh, behavior, because then, then we give people the choice to, okay, I'm going to get my dopamine hit from the, the old school platforms and I'm going to be subject to their uh, understanding of who I need to be, or do I choose something that I own and I get some of that stimulation as well, but I know where this is headed. I can turn it off or I can double down if I want to, because now I own the data that's being used to kind of propel and the algorithm that is being used to propel those hits. So I'm just trying to kind of, I get it where we are, but there is a school of new developers, of new builders, like the two of you, like Kai and myself, building more new things that maybe defy the current status quo and will provide some of the same benefits, but in a different incentive architecture. So that's kind of me kind of reacting to all this conversation, trying to kind of grasp that. Um, so just just before we wrap up, I mean, what you guys think about that? So just really, really fast. I, I think that you, you bring up some really, really good points about incentives and the data that we've already agreed to reveal about ourselves. What I would say is that we're actually on the verge of making it a lot worse. So the way that the majority of existing protocols work in the blockchain space is if you have someone's wallet address, you know all of their transaction history. And frankly, it's pretty easy to figure out who owns what wallet address. There are entire companies like Chainalysis and others that are built specifically for that purpose, right? And they're very good at their job. And, you know, could you imagine a world where, you know, all of the social media engagement um, you you engage with, you know, you, you perform um, on these various platforms is now permanently connected to your actual transaction history? There's nothing higher conviction than the stuff you actually buy. Uh, and so imagine you use a stablecoin product uh, because that becomes normalized. Maybe it's tied to your credit card in the future and you go out to a store and you buy something and now like the social media platforms know because, you know, like friend tech, they know your wallet address. They know everything you buy, every, every dollar you spend. And, you know, now you're being, you know, people used to think, that, um, oh, Facebook has my mic on because the ads are so well targeted. If I talk about my dog, I'm going to get ads for dog food on my, you know, on my app. Uh, imagine a world that is literally 100x worse because we've now decided that it's normalized and it's, it's a good idea to eliminate privacy. And look, there's no privacy in the Ethereum ecosystem whatsoever. Like Ethereum has been you know, stated like, oh my God, this is the second coming. This is the, whether it's the L2 world, the L1, you know, itself, uh, there is no privacy whatsoever. So I think that there's, uh, you're absolutely right. It's, it's the outcome is not positive. And it, you know, I can tell you as a, as a father, you know, I'm thinking a lot about this in terms of how I 
you know, educate my children, you know, and educate them about the risks and dangers and, you know, make sure I, I've already had conversations with them sitting there saying, look, how does this company that you're using, how does Instagram or how does Snapchat or how do these platforms, how do they make money? How do you think they make money? How do you think they are successful? And just listen to them, like let them answer the question in their own words as a child, you know, like what do they think happens behind the scenes? And then you get create, it creates the open space, the green space to, you know, like have a conversation with them about it. And then they can start to become smarter about the choices they make on these platforms. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's a big challenge. And again, uh, it will resort, we will have to resort to a, an incentive architecture and, and how they make money. I mean, it's the, as we say in Brazil, the most sensitive organ of the human body is the pocket. Um, so that's absolutely true when it comes to these big uh, technology companies. Just so before we wrap up, uh, any parting thoughts on that uh, first uh, kind of cut on the subject, Kai or, or Zach? Yeah, just uh, jumping back a little bit, I do agree with Naveen on the, uh, you know, people want that dopamine hit. And so I think in this topic with Web3 Social and AI, you need to realize that the current social media model is basically information plus entertainment. And I think we need to look at those two separately. In with the lens of AI generated content in terms of entertainment, I don't really think it's a problem at all. I think it'll just get better at entertaining us. Um, the problem is when we look at the information segment. Yeah, so I, I was I was gonna make the a similar comment that AI is just gonna be better at entertaining us. You know, and I think that there's there's less of a risk or concern there. I think Zachary, your point around information support. I would also add just like, is the goal having genuine human connection? Like if the goal of these platforms is making genuine human connection, then we can kind of get into what, what do you need to be able to solve for that? Because it seems like the direction that we're heading in a number of ways is much better tailored, customized entertainment. You know, information that you want to hear, maybe not information you don't want to hear, but increasingly difficult to you know, meet and build connections with real human beings. And so you know, is that still a goal of social media? You know, are there new tools and technologies that can help enable that? Or is the primary goal entertainment? And if that's the case, then it's you know, replaced with the TV and it's just hyper-customized you know, exactly what you want to see at, at all times. That is a great segue to the next <laughs> topics. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. And we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Visa, one of the world's leaders in digital payments. Crypto has opened up a new world of possibilities, and Visa is helping everyone take part. Consumers can now enjoy the freedom and flexibility of using their Visa crypto link cards for everyday purchases at millions of Visa accepting merchant locations around the world. Join us in this new money movement. Learn more at Visa.com forward slash crypto. This is FinTech Insider After Dark. We are breaking out of the studio and bringing it to the community. It's a live recording of the FinTech Insider podcast featuring your favorite hosts and big name guests. Well, thank you very much for having me back. Join us and become a certified FinTech Insider. Whether it's beers in London or pizza in New York, catch up with FinTech geeks and make new friends across the financial services ecosystem. This is packed out, right? This is standard yeah. We are bringing After Dark to the village 
Village Underground in London on the 20th of September. Click the link in the podcast description or visit 11fs.com slash afterdark. Thank you very much for joining us, everybody. Good night. Yeah, so just on, on that topic of, you know, how can you design social media platforms to be able to have real human social connection, what role does commerce play? What role do transactions play? And you know, I know this this idea has been around for a long time of, oh, you could have Twitter, but it it costs, you know, it's micropayments. It costs a fraction of a penny every time you want to, you know, like or post or, or, or retweet. And then it's cost prohibitive for bots, but you know, real humans can still use it. Uh, maybe let's start there. Like, you know, people have talked about micropayments and bringing transactions in as one way to deter and and you know solve some of these issues. Does that show any promise? Do does anyone here think there's potential there? Or what other ways can commerce and transactions help solve that problem? I think there's potential. It's definitely not a a total fix. Obviously, you know, if you're on a bot, you can still pay for it. Um, but I think it. It's basically a disincentive um, for bots. Um, so it, we'll probably need other solutions as well layered on top of that. Um, but I do think it's a a good thing. And to the point where the incoming influx of AI-generated content may actually help push Web3 social. Um, you know, you think like, oh, we've got Twitter on the blockchain now. And people are like, what? I have to pay for it? I'm not going to do that. Um, but then if you're like, well, there's less of this AI-generated content. Now you have a, a better solution there. I think the the whole purpose of uh, proof of work, if I'm not mistaken, even before being used on the Bitcoin blockchain, was to prevent email spam. So if you have to do a marginal effort to send out thousands of emails, that is a complete disincentive and, a, and an unbearable cost to the perpetrator. And that was what created the, the concept of proof of work. If you do the work, you can do it a subsequent activity, but if you can't afford doing the work, then you won't. So I think it speaks to that same concept of being, okay, if you put in enough work, you can actually interact. Uh, but maybe that is a counter incentive on the whole dopamine thing. So I'll, I'll, I'll kind of hand it over to Naveen to comment on that. But it sounds to me that might might play against some of these factors. But again, you can create the counterpoint of, okay, so here you have real human interactions, whereas if you don't pay, then you're, who knows who you're talking to. So I, I think it's already been proven in the proof of stake space that people are willing to spend uh, lots of money to farm airdrops um, with bots. You know, all these protocols have um, small fees, uh, you know, and that's a real challenge. Like when the fees drop, the uh, ability for people to spin up large networks of bots goes up dramatically. Um, I think a an interesting way to, you know, I want to just double down on, on Kai's point about transaction data and is there a way to leverage commerce uh, in, in a better way to create a world where it's like proof of per- personhood on some dimension. You know, the interesting thing about human beings is human beings are creatures of habit. So, you know, there was a, a fascinating article in the New York Times several years back, I don't remember which year exactly, where they analyzed anonymized uh, GPS data from cell phones in Manhattan and were trying to figure out whether they could figure out who the people are using this like anonymized data set. And it turns out that they were 
largely able to figure out who the individual people were uh, because it turns out someone wakes up, they go to the same gym in the morning, they go to the same Starbucks on the way to the office, they ride the subway from point A to point B, and you can actually use the transaction data, or in this case, the GPS data, uh, as uh, a single, essentially a fingerprint. So I think what could be an interesting thing to consider in the future is, is there a way still you know, maintaining uh, a high degree of privacy for people to essentially prove their humanness uh, by virtue of the transactions that they do in sort of a, on a broader basis without revealing that to the entire world. Um, so right now we live in a world where it's binary. You can either use something like Monero and know that everything is completely default private and unless you present someone with your view key, they can't see your transaction history, the amount spent, or the parties that have transacted, et cetera, right? Uh, or if you, or you have Ethereum, where there's no privacy whatsoever. You have someone's wallet address. Enjoy. <laughs> you get access to their entire history from the beginning of time. Those are our two options. So uh, perhaps there's a middle ground where um, you know there's like default privacy for the public, where oh, you have someone's wallet address, you can't see their transaction history, but a, a protocol or a platform that's attempting to validate your level of true personhood um, is able to evalu evaluate your fingerprint of your transaction history that your transaction history essentially creates for you and say, oh, you know what? Yeah, there's a high probability this is a real person because you know, they have a gym membership and they visit the gym and they do, you know, these things on a repeated basis. They pay for a cell phone bill and they, you know, whatever the things that they're doing, they're, they're, they're paying for these various things that we all pay for in life. Oh, wow. They're going to Costco every week to buy their groceries um, or whatever your local super, you know, supermarket is. Um, these are all things that I think are absolutely help. They absolutely help prove that someone is a human and they present a much higher bar. Uh, for a uh, you know someone who's running a bot farm to um, to reach, so that that could be a one possible answer to the to the question. I I think there's also this interesting component around like this kind of social commerce graph and how you can connect with and and discover you know other people you know who have similarities to you if you take you know participation in purchasing the same you know type of of shoes or or the same brands as well as you know, going to the same events. Uh, so there's always been something really interesting to me about how, you know, <clears throat> if privacy in a privacy preserving way, you can choose to opt in, you know, to share, you know, certain commerce data that you have, you know, the people that you might want to meet might have very similar commerce data to you. And so uh, I'm really interested in how, you know, some of those social features, you know, get built in. And, and Zach, I'm, cu I'm curious if, Zachary, I'm curious if you've seen any of this uh, in terms of use cases of applications that you work with, but we're now seeing you know wallet to wallet messaging, uh, for example. And so you know on Coinbase Wallet, you know you can now message you know people who have the same NFT as you. Now again, it's everything is default public, but some of those primitives you know starting to enable kind of smaller uh, you know kind of group chats versus open kind of public city social networks as like a different form of of connection. I was going to bring that up. Uh, a really cool thing I've heard about a few times is um, it's basically like email, but you have to pay for them to receive your message. Um, so, you know, even if the bot farms are just spamming people, 
if they have to pay and the user gets paid, I mean, it's I'll happily receive spam all day if I get paid for it. Uh, you know, no problem there. And uh, I know one-to-one DMs on chain is definitely doable. Um, I'm not a developer again, but from what I've heard, doing encrypted group messages um, is way harder um, with the cryptographic encryption. So again, I'm not sure that everything needs to be on chain, uh, but I think it would definitely be cool to, you know, something like you're saying, being able to figure out who has similar interests to you and, and connect with them on chain. And then before the the show, we were talking about you know, friend tech as you know, the the new social media app on on base that's getting a lot of attention. And Riso, you mentioned that you know there, there's this article around you know the uh, you know data from friend tech you know being leaked. And my understanding, it sounds like you know the open public API and how the platform works is that there is an associated public address with your Twitter handle. And so it's it's not always clear from the beginning when people go into using a product, you know, you need to fund a wallet address. Well, wherever you fund it from is now connected with your Twitter handle. And like that is just that's default public. And so Mauricio, curious your thoughts on on friend tech and and kind of some of those uh, you know revelations you know, today and, and what that means in, in this context. Yeah, from from some of the reading I did, friend tech is a new social platform. Web3 native that treats your online presence as a stock, right? So there's a whole like dynamics and tokenomics about how you go about becoming, you know, followed and and, and have followers and, and follow someone else. There's always an exchange of quote unquote stocks or tokens that are representative of a uh, person on that network. What happened is that because the way they're handling uh, association and quote unquote proof of personhood, uh, there is a wallet associated with a Twitter handle and potentially the metadata of that Twitter handle as well. And once you know some of that data gets leaked, then there's a lot of association that can be made. And, and as Naveen said, you can infer a bunch of other stuff if you have the wallet and you have the Twitter. So that's not exactly great. Uh, for any of that. And we need to take everything that's happening in crypto right now with a grain of salt. This is a massive um, experiment and a massive sandbox. Some of these technologies haven't reached enterprise-grade maturity yet, so we can always count that something is going to happen if we don't pay attention to it. That aside, what I feel is uh, also something that is very particular to crypto is that people jump into stuff really, really fast like the FOMO or the fear of missing out that we are seeing that usually kind of winds down during bear markets, haven't stopped people from massively jumping into some of these things because there's an indication in, in the website of uh, Frentech that there's features that are going to come into the future, which in crypto language means future airdrops. So if it's future airdrops, then people will start to adopt as fast as possible so they can actually farm for those airdrops in the future. So it's almost the same behavior exacerbated uh, or or present in Web2 social media, but exacerbated by the fact that there is a financial potential financial gain down the line that is, again, exacerbated in crypto. So I feel that the combination is really not the greatest, although I really like what they're trying to do with the whole token per user kind of thing. The dynamic seems very interesting because one of the things that people complain 
about Web2 social media is that it's really hard to monetize and you're always captive to a particular social network where you're operating uh, with. And in Frentech, the goal was to kind of everyone can monetize their online presence. And this becomes more of like the incentive for people to participate. That said, um, this is still a developing story. So um, I hope that these things are resolved as soon as possible. And also that there is enough discussion about what data are we bringing on chain? Because by now we should know that once it's written on the blockchain, it's immutable and sitting there forever, which kind of complicates you know, matters a little bit more. Yeah, so, th so this brings in another lens to the conversation of like creator monetization. You know, you shouldn't just have you know, a social network or social media for the sake of social media. There should be a way that creators, the real human creators, should be able to, to monetize it. And so it seems like this idea has been tried multiple times. You know, BitSocial uh, was was a popular you know product for a short period of time. And uh, there have been a number of social token uh, projects and this idea of, and I think in, in Frentech, the way it works is as people trade shares for an individual creator or you know, influencer, they get a cut of the trading fee you know, for that. So Naveen, how do you think about these social token models and what do you make of, of the traction that you know, Frentech has, has gotten in the last week? Is this just kind of boredom and <laughs> speculation that you know, no one's ever gonna talk about Frentech again in a few weeks? Uh, or is there there's something you know that that could be enduring to you know what their their model is uh, today? So um, I think Frentech is interesting because what they did was pair this idea of owning a share with access to essentially a private group chat, right? So if you you buy a share in me, for example, on Frentech, then you get access to a private group chat with both myself and other holders of you know, Naveen Spark, my Twitter handle um, on Frentech. And what people choose to do with that is up to them. Uh, there are some people out there who are advertising that, oh, I'm going to share alpha, alpha in my chat. Uh, there, you know, are other people who are like, oh, well, you know, I'm an OnlyFans model and I'm going to share spicy pictures in my chat if you buy shares in me. And so I think it comes down to, the value exchange between a creator and call it their top 100 or top 1000 true fans um, and what they ultimately want to do. So I think, I think that that core concept is an interesting concept. I think that core concept paired with surveillance is a, a tragedy waiting to happen. I think that's like, uh, and, and that ultimately is what will uh, prevent Frontech from being like wildly successful. I also think that there's another consideration here, which, um, you know, Kai, we've talked about in the past, which is whenever someone is thinking about something with their financial brain, they are not thinking about that thing with their heart. Uh, so, you know, as human beings, we basically have two modes of operation. Mode number one is I'm going to make money and I'm going to make money now. And I'm going to get rich real freaking fast in crypto. And this thing is, I'm going to buy a share in Kai because Kai's a rock star. And if I buy the share early, I'm going to make money on the share of Kai. Okay. And that's like one mindset. Now, when someone is thinking with that mindset, they will say and do anything to try to make money. And they will lie. They will outright lie and say, you know, I love friend tech and I love Kai. 
<laughs> I love Kai. Kai's amazing um, because I'm hoping that Zach also buys a share of Kai because if Zach buys a share of Kai, then my share in Kai went up in value, right? So people will literally say and do anything to try to induce others to ape in. And this is sort of a natural state of crypto because everything in crypto is hyper-financialized. The problem with that is, do I truly love Kai? Now, I can sit here as a friend of Kai and say, I truly love Kai. And I don't own a share of Kai, so I can I can just say that I truly love Kai, and that's great. But that really becomes a major question mark in terms of the concept of social finance and Web3 social. Um, if we're designing incentive systems where everyone is focused maniacally on the financial outcome, are they really building the social connection? Are they really... You know, and then and then what ends up happening is that's where you get into that whole conversation that we had with NFTs of utility. Well, hey Kai, I joined your, uh, I bought a share. I'm in your chat, and the share the share price is going down. You're a rug. <laughs> you didn't create value for your holders, right? So because you didn't deliver as a creator in that moment in time, you didn't deliver. What have you done for me lately, Kai? What have you done for me lately? That becomes the default you know, direction people start to go because now it's costing them financially. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, can we actually connect, you know, using like this concept of Web3 social, you know, can we actually truly have human connection when in the back of our mind, sitting on our shoulders at all times is Scrooge fucking McDuck, (laughs) you know, sitting there, you know, telling you whether you're making money or losing money by your investment in Kai on Frentech. Um, and then the fact that all of this is happening on a default surveillance chain just adds insult to injury. So no, I don't think Frentech will be successful long term. It, it's such a good point of just this balance of hyper financialization and speculation of which these technologies you know, do enable, like objectively, they enable new ways to, to speculate with authenticity. And how do you marry those two together? But on the other hand, creators need a way to monetize. But even just the difference I've seen of like, if you sell a subscription, you know, which is the model of OnlyFans and you know, Patreon and many others, then you're not promising some increase in value. It's a very clear binary, you know, you either got the value or you did it, and then you can, you know, unsubscribe. But if you're selling a share, there's this expectation that the value has to always increase. And then, you know, that puts a lot of pressure on whoever the creator is. And then what happens when the value doesn't increase? And so do we want to live in a world where, you know, all social interactions are hyper-financialized in some way? And like, what are the side effects, you know, from that? So I think these are just like really existential questions around where on that spectrum can we be? And I know we're running out of time. I mean, Zachary, yeah, any final thoughts or, or kind of last words on, on some of these these concepts? Yeah, I agree with Naveen. I don't think it'll be successful long-term. Uh... It's basically the same thing as BitClout. And from what I've heard, they also have the the bonding curve way too high. So it's just super pump and dump speculation. The The social token idea itself is interesting. I'm not sure that it's best applied to like a person. You know, if I'm investing in some creator, it's like, it's kind of ambiguous. Um, I'm not sure if this would be legal with securities regulations and stuff. But for example, if there's a YouTuber I liked and they you know, a couple times a year, put out some really big high production value video. If they could sell like a social token for that specific video so people could invest in the creator's work and then maybe, you know, earn a percentage of the ad revenue back, um, 
that could be cool. Uh, but yeah, things like subscriptions or, uh, you know, paying for super comments, token gated chats, um, that sort of thing's interesting. But yeah, Naveen has a good point with the expectation of return kind of muddying the waters on the, the actual relationship between a creator and a fan. Yeah, which kind of speaks back to Web3 and the whole decentralization spectrum. Not everything is going to be ultimately decentralized because at times it doesn't work and at times it doesn't even make sense, right? So do we really want to turn people into an endeavor, an enterprise, like an individual enterprise that we can, you know, put the chips and bat on and, and then create, you know, yet future generations of people with very complicated mental health issues. I don't think we're going to get there, right? For sure. Great. Okay. That wraps up today's discussion. Oh my God, this was intense. <laughs> yeah, we, we should we should come back to this at, at some point because it's a super deep uh, uh, topic and, and we'll definitely have more to talk about. So thank you guys for joining us and, and uh, where can people find more about you and the work that you're doing with your companies? Let's start with you, Zach. Subsocial.network is our URL. You can find us on Twitter at subsocialchain. Um, you can follow me specifically at CryptoCowboyOG. Good, Naveen. Uh, yeah, if you want to learn more about Tari, um, you can visit us uh, at Tari.com. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter um, at Tari. Uh, and if you want to follow me directly, you can follow me on Twitter uh, at Naveen Spark. Kai? On Twitter at Kai Sheffield and Visa.com slash crypto. Everyone here is an OG, so I'm going to go with that. I'm on Twitter too, Zero X Mauricio. <laughs> uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Mauricio Magaldi and 11FS.com. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. We have lots in the works and we're very excited to be talking about crypto and blockchain with all of you again. If you can wait until the next episode, take a look at the many previous episodes in your catalog and get yourself properly immersed in the world of crypto. And if you really love it, please leave us a review. It helps us to make it better and helps other people find the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, Find us on social media. Just search for 11FS or Blockchain Insider or email us at podcasts at 11FS.com. This is all for today. Stay rare, stay weird. LFG.